Psalm 102 this morning. Uh, and as you're turning there and getting yourself situated, we, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Mike Nicholson, who was here and put in a very long couple of days. Uh, we have a project going on on the Parsonage, um, and Mike was here to kind of help just be a point person, has been working throughout this whole last couple of months to be a point person to connect, and he had put in a lot of time and energy uh, these last couple of days. So, Mike, thank you very much for everything you do for us, and especially for this weekend. Um, all right, I'm going to pray, and then um, we can uh, jump in and get going. Is it for me? No? We're good? Okay. All right, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all the many ways that you show up, the many ways you bless, the many ways you give, the many ways you reveal yourself. God, I pray that you would um, speak through your word to us this morning, that we would be able to just stop and, and listen and hear from you and connect with you. You have a message for us this morning. As we are in this season of Advent, as we're in this season of waiting and waiting on the return of Jesus, we do so hope-filled, knowing that a better day is coming, knowing that you have made promises and you will always keep your promises. Lord, we pray that as we open your word today, that it would challenge us and encourage us and rebuke us motivate us, and do all the things that it is made to do. God, we pray for our church that you would continue to bind us together. You continue even in this time of social distancing and separation and sicknesses and quarantines and all of these things, Lord. We pray that you would continue to help us be intentional to care and love one another. We pray for our neighbors, for our neighborhood, um, especially this weekend as the, the stroll through Roscoe Village, this, this, pro, this program is happening to um, try and help bring some foot traffic to some of the businesses around here, Lord. We pray that it would be um, helpful for, for those whose uh, livelihoods have been put in jeopardy by everything going on this year. Lord, we pray for our neighbors that in this year, this time of year, where um, Christmas carols and, and these songs that are so rich in the gospel are everywhere, Lord, that people are more willing to have these conversations. Um, Lord, we pray that we would be able to make an impact and connect and serve and love our neighbors well. Lord, we pray for our city, for our nation, for our world. Lord, we're praying for unity. We're praying for hope. We're praying that you would put an end to the coronavirus, that these things would be done, that COVID-19 would be done, and that we would be able to um, be gathered together again, that we would be able to not have to worry so much about distancing and masks and how long you were out of the city and where'd you go and all of these things, that we can just be together. Lord, we know that you are at work in these things, Lord. We know that you're doing something. We know that you're on the move. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to remember that, help us to focus on you in the midst of the trouble. God, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus in his name. Amen. So I am generally a pretty, yeah, not pretty, I'm a messy person. Right? Like, I wouldn't consider myself a slob, per se, but, like, I don't mind mess. Right? I'm a, I'm a clothes on the floor, dishes can be in the sink for a few days, cluttered surfaces kind of person. But there is a point where I just can't deal with the mess anymore, where I feel like I let things go so long that I feel like I'm getting pressed in on with all of the mess. I feel confined and trapped, and so I have to clean so that I can just, like, think and function. I get overwhelmed by the situation and I have to take steps to address it or I just won't be able to move forward. In the psalm we're looking at this morning, 
the writer, who we don't actually know, finds himself in a place of being overwhelmed by the situation around him. He feels, he feels pressed in upon. He feels overwhelmed and burdened. There are some who believe that the pain and sense of loss that he expresses here is tied to the days of exile for the Israelites when Babylon came in and swept through and destroyed Jerusalem, scattering God's people, wrecking the temple, took captives. There are some ideas of national pain that we'll kind of look at as we go through, but there's also some personal things that he reveals. In the midst of the darkness, though, in the midst of the hopelessness that the psalmist feels, he turns to the one only constant, the one only hope the sure and steady anchor as he thinks about who God is. And he rejoices in that. And he rejoices not only in who God is, but he rejoices in what God hasn't even done yet. He begins to rejoice in what God's gonna do. What a way to deal with hardship. That when we are in the midst of pain, to to not only rest in God, but to celebrate how he's going to move, how he's going to move us in the midst and out of the darkness from what he has yet to do. That's a mark of faith and of hope and understanding that who God is doesn't change, and he will continue to be faithful. And so we can wait expectantly for a future better day to come. So that's what we're going to look at. Let's read through Psalm 102, and then we'll we'll go through and, and, uh, yeah, let's go through it. Psalm 102. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the days my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayers of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height, From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established for you. So let's start in verse 1, right at the top. 
We see some language here. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let me my cry come to you. This is regular. You've seen this if you've read through the Psalms. This is regular language. Even some, some language pulled from 102 that you can see in the book of Job, which is a lot of petitioning, crying out to God. God, let my prayers come to you. Hear my prayers, O Lord. You see, for those who are Christians, those who have walked, like intellectually, we know God hears our prayers, right? We know he hears us all the time. But when you're in the midst of chaos, when you're in the midst of the overwhelmingness, it can be easy to forget that. It can be easy to lose sight of what's going on. When we pray, we pray with our head and our heart. God, I know you hear my prayers, but God, hear my prayers. God, I know you know the words I'm going to say, but I'm going to say these words anyway. Hear my prayer, God. And the prayer is just, God, hear my prayer. You know I'm in trouble. You know I need you to answer me when I call you. God, be you. You guys have probably heard me pray that often. God, be you. God, be who you tell us that you are in Scripture. God, hear us. God, move. God, don't turn away. Be all the things you promised to be. See, it's a great thing to take what we read in Scripture. Take what you read in the Bible about how God reveals himself to us and pray those things back to God. So when it says in 2 Timothy 2.13 that he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself, we can pray, God, you said you'd be faithful, so I need you to be faithful right now. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, for the Lord is a God of justice. God, you said you'd be just. We need some of your justice in this moment. Jeremiah 30, verse 17, for I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal. God, you said you are a healer. I need you to be a healer right now. See, we take the things that we hear and know about God and we pray them back to him. But just because we pray that prayer and God doesn't answer us in the way or the timing that we like, it doesn't negate the things about God that he reveals to us, right? So if we pray, God, we need you to heal in this time. You said you're a healer. We need you to heal someone and that person doesn't get better. Well, that doesn't negate that God is a healer. It doesn't negate that category or that characteristic of God. It means he's doing something else. He's doing something we can't see the whole picture of. But it's good to take scripture and to pray it back to God. So when you don't have the word to say, when you're so overwhelmed with either grief or joy, and you just don't even have the words, God gives us the words in in his word. He gives us what we can pray. And so for those of us who say, you know what, especially, you know, we're doing this day-by-day prayer, and I want to grow in prayer, I want to grow in how I, in my prayer life, first off, just start doing it. But secondly, grow in your scripture reading. And as you read scripture, pray it back to God. That's a great way to give you the words as you grow in prayer. And so he says, God, hear my prayer. I need you to move. I need you to answer when I call. Which brings us then into this section from verse 3 through 11 that talks about kind of the pain and what the psalmist is feeling. You can see why that subscript at the top is the prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. This is a psalm about when you are beaten up by the world and by life. That's what he's feeling here. He says, my days are like smoke. They're temporary. They're fading. They're fleeting. They're gone. And we don't know the exact reason for the emotional state, but, I mean, look at the words and the phrases and the imagery that he uses in this section. Bones burning. Heart struck down. Forgot to eat bread. I was so tired and exhausted and overwhelmed, I forgot to eat. Bones clinging to flesh. 
isolated, stuck in the waste spaces, lying awake alone. This is vivid imagery of what it feels like to be consumed by sorrow and despair. When you are stuck in something like that, it can affect your physical health as well. Your mental health and your physical health are tied together. And the longer you sit in the negative, in the unhealthy mental health, it affects your physical well-being too. And so let me say, if you are battling with depression or sorrow, or even if you don't want to use those words and you're just in like a prolonged sadness these days, tell somebody, call somebody, get some help. It is not weakness to ask for help. It is great strength to say, look, I can't do this on my own. I need somebody to talk to. I need a professional. I need some help. Verse 8 says, I'm beaten up. I'm exhausted. I'm isolated. And my enemies taunt me. I'm already in this vulnerable space. I'm already feeling isolated and alone. And it's all just exacerbated all the more by the taunts of my enemies. And And it drives the psalmist into mourning. He drives the psalmist into weeping and wearing of ashes. He says in verse 9, tears pouring into my drink. Ashes are like bread. As common as eating and drinking are, so were the marks of mourning for the psalmist. They're a constant state for him. Every day he's in this state of just weeping and exhausted and overwhelmed. And we get to verse 10 and we get a little bit of an insight into what the psalmist is thinking when he says, because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. The psalmist sees that this pain and this mourning that he is dealing with is the result of the anger and indignation of the Lord. He says, you've taken me up and thrown me down. Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on the Psalms, equates this to a wrestler picking up his opponent and throwing him to the ground. Now again, we don't know the exact reason why, where this psalm comes from. Maybe there is some personal judgment of his own personal sin and he's dealing with the judgment and consequences of that. Or maybe, like I said earlier, there's this idea of the heartbreak of being in exile, being captured and sent away by Babylon. The city of God has been ransacked. The enemies mock them. But notice that there's no anger toward God here. It's not frustration toward God. He's not even really blaming God. It's not, or at least not in the like, how dare you do this to me kind of blame. But rather, it's a realization for him. Part of why his heart is so broken is, God, I think this is you being you. I think this is you pouring out your judgment. We talked about this last week. God has anger. God has wrath. He is a just judge. It's part of the world. That's part of creation. That's part of our existence. But this is not punishment for punishment's sake because that's not how God works. He is not abusive. God will correct. God will discipline those he loves. But he does not torment or torture his children. That's not his character. That's not who he is. And the psalmist, I don't think, feels that. He doesn't feel that this is misplaced or inappropriate. He says, I eat these ashes. I drink these tears because I think this is from God and that breaks my heart. And you know what? This is a right view. Whether it's his personal sin or the sin of the nation and judgment, either way, this is a right view of sin in general. When we see the consequences of our sins playing out, yes, us in this situation, right? we deal with those consequences that's negative, it's hard, it makes us feel bad. But superseding that should be the reality that we have sinned against God. 
the reality that we have once again rebelled against the good and perfect God should break our hearts. That should drive us to mourning. There should be a pain that we have sinned against him, not just that we got caught or that we have to deal with the consequences, but rather just because of who God is, how he has loved and cared for us, and we've rebelled against him, that should break our hearts. And even on the grander picture, the bigger picture, if we're talking about this on a, on a nation, on a, on a creation standpoint, we watch our cities, our nation, this world go through suffering and sin and the effects of them. We see judgment happening in various forms and ways, and that should break our hearts as Christians. When we see others, whether or not we know them, we see others deal with the consequences of sin and suffering because of it, that should cause something in us, that should stir something up in us. Because all people are made in the image and likeness of God. All people have worth and value by being created. And so when we see pain and suffering in this world, we should have a response because that's not supposed to be here. We should care because God cares too. We should be sad and mourning and weeping when we see injustice, when we see suffering. Just because it isn't happening to you, just because it's in another state or another country or maybe just the other side of town, just because it doesn't affect you directly doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It does because those people matter. And we as Christians who have tasted and seen the goodness of God, the grace and mercy and restoration of God should not turn a blind eye when we see those things. Now, I'm not telling you that every Christian needs to be like a social, you know, a radical activist, but I'm saying start with weeping with those who are weeping, mourning with those who are mourning. Just be present. Be present and acknowledge that things are not just, things are not fair, things are not okay, things are broken, and there is a pain in the midst of the people of this earth. Just because you have not firsthand experienced racism or sexism or bigotry doesn't mean you are off the hook for caring and loving your brothers and sisters in it. You don't need to have all of the answers. In fact, it's a good idea if you realize you probably don't. But you can sympathize and you can be present and be a support to those who are suffering. And that's a really good start. Psalmist says, I think this is you moving, God. I think this is you, your hand at work. And he says, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Basically what he's saying is, I realize I'm on the clock here. I realize my days are numbered. I understand I don't have as many days left as I once did. My days are numbered like the grass that withers away. Pastor David Guzik says, overwhelmed with a sense of divine rejection, he felt that his life was short and had little meaning. He felt like his life was the shadow that lengthens. Your shadow shows up, appears during the day, and as the day goes on, it gets longer and longer, and then it's gone, and darkness sets in. Here one minute, and gone the next. That's us. He says, my days are fading. I'm exhausted, and I'm beat. I don't know how much left I have. Getting out of bed seems too tough. Eating seems like a whole other ordeal that I just can't deal with. I just can't keep going. Look at these verses from 3 through 11. Feel the weight of the sadness and the loneliness and the isolation and the trouble and the depression that this person is feeling. It's okay to feel those things. It's okay to pray those things and express them. 
This is recorded. This, the eternal living and breathing word of God, God chose to include these phrases, these words in the Bible forever. They're there for a reason. The psalmist isn't in trouble because of the way he feels. He isn't scolded or kicked out of the community because he's dealing with depression. No, he feels what he feels and it hurts. It's okay to feel those things. Don't bottle it up. Don't try to ignore it. Don't try to just do it all on your own. Reach out, get help. And look, if you're not in that spot, if you read these verses and say, man, that must be really difficult, but that's not me. Be a support. Be a friend. Do not be a hindrance and stumbling block to someone who's just trying to get it themselves together so they can get off the couch. Check in on each other. In this season, in this year, isolation, depression, these things are going through the roof as we have been separated from one another. Check on each other. Be intentional. Be a safe space for one another. Be present with one another. Even if it's just, you know what? I'm going to sit on this FaceTime call. I'm going to carve out 45 minutes or an hour. I know this person just needs a friend right now. I'm going to sit and just be. But here's the great thing about the Psalms. See, the Psalms are like this roller coaster of emotion a lot of times. You get Psalms where it's, I feel good. I feel connected to you, God, and rejoicing in his faithfulness and goodness. And then you get ones kind of like this where it's this lowness, this exhausted depression. God, I just need you to hear this prayer. I'm so worn out, my bones are on fire. That's an honest prayer. But in this psalm, we get the turn, we get both. Because he gets to this turn in verse 12, but you, O Lord. It's a variation of my favorite phrase in the Bible, but God. It's this stop. Look, things are ugly. Things are dark. You're in sackcloth and ash. Everything is ruined and falling apart, but God. You're in quarantine. You're sick. Your loved ones are sick. You can't go anywhere. Money is tight. You lost your job. People are dying. You're sick of wearing a mask all the time. You're lonely and tired. But God. You see, but God, it doesn't negate these things. It doesn't erase them. Rather, it's a glimpse of light. But God is set apart. But God is different. But God does and is something completely opposite to the darkness. Even in the midst of the pain and the darkness and the depths of hell and pain, I feel, but God is at work. And what's interesting about verses 12 through 17 is that much of what is written here is in the future tense. It says in verse 12, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. And because of that, because you are enthroned forever, there are things that God is going to do. That's what Advent is all about. It's about the waiting period of what God's going to do. And so we've been making this sunrise art, and I hope you jumped on early enough where you got to see it. Like I said earlier, if you want to add more to the art, we're still taking in submissions. Just scan it, take a picture of it, send it to me, and we'll add it in. Um, and we'll start posting more of those on social media as well. This idea that you, O oh Lord, but God, is this first glimmers of light that breaks the horizon. Because God is enthroned forever. And in this, I want, I want to pull out quickly, there's six things I want to pull out about God in relation to the fact that he's enthroned. Well, the first one is, but God is enthroned forever in verse 12. He is in control on his throne. He always has been. He always will be. That's never going to change. 
Only, the only time he wasn't sitting on his throne is when God himself entered into humanity, when Jesus walked this earth, when Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, rose again, defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave, and then he went back to heaven, back to his throne. He is enthroned forever, king forever, remembered throughout all generations. There has never been a point, nor will there be a point, where God will lose and God won't be in control, where his fingerprints won't be all over creation. God is in control of all things all the time. I think I'm just going to get that tattooed right on my forehead so I can just start pointing to it because I've said it so many times this year. God is king forever. Number two, but you, O Lord, but God is compassionate in verse 13. You will arise and have pity on Zion. Pity is that word it's that we've talked about it before. It's that deep gut feeling. It's actually in the New Testament refers to having this feeling in the, the depth of your bowels. It's compassion and mercy and pity kind of all rolled up together. It's the emotion or feeling that is most often associated with when Jesus is compelled to act. It's because of his compassion and mercy that he moves, that he serves, that he cares, that he came to earth to die for us. God has compassion for his creation. That's why Jesus was sent in the first place. God saw us helpless and hopeless in our state, but God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins in our place. Number three, but God is on time in verse 13. God does not waste time, his or ours. God is always on time. The psalmist says there's going to come a day when that compassion is going to reach a boiling point, that moment where God is going to respond and respond. And that point, that time will be the appointed time, the perfect time, the time when he will come to rescue and restore. That time is coming and is at hand, and it will happen at the exact right, perfect time that God knows. But God is enthroned forever. But God is compassionate. But God is on time. Number four, God is exalted in verse 15. Throughout all of time, we've seen it. But here especially, the psalmist looks to a future day when the Gentile nations and the kings would come to know the day of the Lord. We see that in multiple prophets saying the same thing. Isaiah especially talks about a day that is coming when the Gentiles would be welcomed in. And that's what happens in Jesus. In Jesus, he opens the doors to the Gentiles because before Jesus, it was God and the Israelites, them together. But Christ comes and he says, no, the kingdom of God is not just for the Jewish people. It's for everybody. Anyone who would put their faith in Christ is welcomed into the family of God. And then we see that carried out in the book of Acts when Peter is proclaiming the gospel to non-Jews, to Gentiles. The psalmist says, nations will fear the name of the Lord. The name will spread, the, Lord, the word will spread, and all will know it and fear it. So again, looking toward the future, looking toward Revelation. There's a scene in Revelation 6. It says, The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the, na- and, and among the, rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? You ever heard someone be so scared of a lamb? Who's scared of a lamb? This lamb is a different kind of lamb. This lamb is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This lamb is the conquering king. 
This lamb is the righteous and just judge over all of existence. Who can stand before him? On our own, nobody. But standing in the righteousness of the lamb himself, that's a different story. Standing in the grace and righteousness given to us through our faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that's the good news that we can stand only by and through him. We look to that day where, as Isaiah says it in chapter 45, and Paul says it in Romans 14, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Not some knees, not most knees. Every knee will bow before Christ. He is exalted, but God is exalted. Number five, but God is a builder in verse 16. He builds up his people. Jerusalem was literally in ruins after Babylon came through. And after the exile, God's people return to Jerusalem and they get back to work. You can read about it in Nehemiah. They get back to work and they rebuild the city gates. They rebuild the city itself. But we also know from history that eventually that temple gets destroyed. But in Christ, there is a new heaven and a new earth and a new city where his people will dwell. God is a builder for his people. He is creating new life now and in eternity for us forever with him. He is a builder of his people. He builds us up. He strengthens us. He is building us up now, making us more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. But God is enthroned forever. He is compassionate. He is on time. He is exalted. He is a builder, number six, but God listens in verse 17. He hears and he cares and he does not despise those who pray to him, who call on him. Those who are suffering, those in pain, those kicked out from society, those who need help, the helpless and the hopeless. God hears those prayers. God loves those prayers. He loves those people and does not despise them. No prayer is too big or too small. God hears them all and does not despise them. If we want to love like he does, if we want to be people who emulate Christ, who point people to God, then we have to live and love as he does and not despise those people either, not cast away those people who it's sometimes hard to love, who takes time and energy and resources to love. We have to care and love for them too because God cares and loves for them. This pain the psalmist feels is real and it's hard and it's exhausting and at times overwhelming, and then he remembers who God is, and he looks forward to what God is going to do. What he already knows about who God is pushes him to look to a better day coming. He says, I know you are enthroned, and I know you're going to move because of what I already know about who you are. We pray this prayer often too, right, where we thank God now for what he's going to do later. Because we have history to show us that God, who God is and show us how he has moved and what he has done and what his character is like. And we know he does not change, so he will continue to move in those ways. He will continue and the gospel will continue to go forward. And so he says, I know you, I know you are these things, God, and I know you're going to act and I know you're going to move in these ways. Because of that, he says, let these things be recorded. The psalmist is getting excited about what's to come. He says in verse 18, pay attention because God is on the move. He says, somebody's got to write this down. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. We got to write this down because God's going to do something and we don't want to forget about it. We want to tell future generations. Write it down. I encourage you, start a journal. If you're not the journaling kind, start being one. Start writing down and remembering. Write down prayers and write down how God, go back and write down how God answered prayers. 
Write down the different times and ways you've seen God move in your life. Have a collection of those things. Not only for you to encourage you and remind you, and, but so that you can tell future generations. You can tell others about how you have seen God move so that we can continue to celebrate. Celebrate those things. And so he says, what will we tell them? We, say, we see in verse 19. That he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord looked at the earth. He heard the groans of the prisoners. Those who were, he set them free, those who were doomed to die. Let it be recorded so future generations will praise. Let it be recorded that a young girl, a nobody, probably illiterate, probably 12, 13, 14, is visited by an angel. And he tells her, Mary, you have found favor and received God's grace, and you will become pregnant. And yeah, I know you're a virgin. You are going to become pregnant, and you are going to carry the Son of God in your womb, and he will save his people. Because God has heard the groans of the prisoners, just as God heard the groans of the Israelites in Egypt, and he sent Moses to deliver them from slavery, so too he hears the groans of the people, and he sends his son Jesus to free us from slavery to sin and free us from captivity so that we might be free. And that happens through the birth of Jesus. He hears our groans. God hears the groans of 2020. He hears the groans that have existed long before 2020. The groans and pains of the oppressed and the rejected and the beaten and abused and mistreated and ignored. And his son will come again. His son will come again as he already did to set the captives free. He will come again to redeem and restore And bring us into his glory. That we may declare the praises of God. And the people will gather and celebrate what Jesus has done. As we celebrate now every Sunday this remembrance of Christ's death and resurrection. As we celebrate all that God has done and all that God's going to do. One day we will be in the presence of God and we will celebrate and rejoice in that. We will celebrate and rejoice in who he is. The psalmist says, write these things down because God's on the move and you don't want to forget. Moms and dads, don't let this season of Advent pass you by. Tell your kids about the good news of what God did by sending Jesus to die for us. Brothers and sisters, you have family and friends who don't know. Share what you know about the goodness, the reason for the season. Tell people about why we are gathered. Tell people about why we celebrate about how good God is that he sent his son to die for us. We have to keep sharing this news. We have to keep... This is why things like Grace Place and Awana and youth ministry are so important so that the next generations, the ones who aren't even on the earth yet, can know about how good God is, how loving and kind and merciful he is. Write it down so others will know. And he swings back at verse 23. He says, he's broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Going through all of this, he says, look, God, you're at work. You're doing a thing. Good things are coming. A day in the future is coming and is going to be here. And Lord, we're going to sit and we're going to celebrate. We're going to look back on how you moved. We're going to tell stories about how we saw God move. And he says, God, I want to be one of those people who's sitting around telling stories. I want to be one of those people. And God, I I want just a couple more days. You've shortened my days. Lord, don't take me away yet. Give me a few more days. Give me a few more years. Give me a little more time because I want to see what you're going to do. It's kind of like Simeon who was in the temple, who was the old man in the temple in the days when Jesus was born. Simeon was holding on. He gets this prophecy from God that you are going to meet the Messiah. 
And one day, that was, that was, uh, that was like his driving factor. Every day was, is today going to be the day? Is today going to be the day? And one day he's in the temple, and Mary and Joseph show up with baby Jesus to dedicate him. And Simeon is holding the Son of God in his arms. And he says in Luke 2, and he says basically, okay, God, I'm ready to die. I got to see Messiah. I got to see your love, your grace, your mercy culminated right here. I got to see something amazing right here. I'm ready to go. The psalmist says, God, let me see just a little bit more. Because I know my days are fading away. But God, I know your days aren't. You endure throughout all generations. You are the eternal God is what he focuses on in those last couple of verses. He says, God, a long time ago you spoke and stuff happened. Earth happened. The heavens happened. There was nothing. You spoke and then there was everything. No one can create something from nothing but God. These things you have created, Lord, this world, this earth that we get to be a part, this creation that we get to exist and, and, and engage with, Lord, all of it is perishing. All of it is fading away. Nothing here is permanent. Nothing here lasts, but you do. Everything else wears out like a garment. Like that favorite sweatshirt that you have. You know the one that's got the holes and the rips and the stain. Like it's barely clothing at this point. It's kind of frayed at the ends. The edges are kind of ripping. But for God, you see, God changes out the days like we change out socks. Everything else is fading away. Everything else is falling apart, but God will remain, and he will remain unchanged. The years don't change him. He doesn't change his character, his purpose, who he is. All of that is steady. As we go through time, as we experience different things, as we experience years, we change, right? We grow, we learn, our attitudes, our outlook, our wisdom, all of these things, we change as we go. We are affected by the things we experience, not God. No matter what things he has seen or experienced, he will not change, and that should be for us a comfort. We can take refuge in that. And because he doesn't change, and because he has no end, that means for generations we have been able to rest in knowing who God is and future generations can do the same. We know that when God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. Look, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. It might be this afternoon. It might be while our cookies are in the oven tonight. That might be when he decides to show up. We don't know, but we do know he's coming. And so we can wait actively, and we can wait expectantly, and we can wait hope-filled because we know that he is coming to right wrongs, to restore and bring hope. There's a good chance that many of you who are paying attention here, who are watching and worshiping with us, are feeling pain and depression and a darkness of the soul these days. But God is enthroned, compassionate, on time, exalted above all other names. And he will build you up, lift you up, lift you up from the darkness and the depth and restore you and build you up. And he hears your cries and he hears your pain and does not despise those things, but rather responds to them. God is doing a work. He has done a work in sending Jesus to die for us and bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And we are invited to further that so that when the gospel is preached, when disciples are being made, when our, we decide to shine our lights brightly, pointing others to Jesus, we see the furthering of the gospel and the kingdom going forward. 
we are being part of moving those things forward. Life is not all sunshine and rainbows and easy days. But we can enjoy and rest in the comfort of who our God is and that he is for us and for his glory and that his light will break through the darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you. God, I thank you for the realness of your word, that you allowed humans to be part of this and to express themselves and express their emotions and their pains and their, their ups and downs. And these things are recorded for us, and we can see that life is not easy all the time and that just because we are walking with you, even faithfully walking with you, it doesn't mean we are immune from all of the pain and hurt of this world. But God, we know that even in the midst of the darkness and the pain, you are there. You are with us and for us. You in all of your holiness and greatness, all of your majesty, all of your all of the character that we know, all of the stuff that we do know about you and all the stuff that we don't know and won't know until we actually are in your presence. Now we know you are with us. We know you are for us. We know you're always in control no matter what it looks like, no matter what we're feeling. We know that you have a hand on these things. God, help us to take comfort in that. Help us to just not get so overwhelmed by everything going on around us, but to focus ourselves on you. That as we experience all of these things, as we walk through these dark seasons, we remember that who you are and we take refuge in that. We take comfort in that. That help us as we march through, as we continue on, day after day, until that day when you decide that to send your son once again. Help us to live expectantly, to not let these days pass us by, but to celebrate what you have done, to tell others about what you have done, to further the kingdom of God. To not just see this as we're killing time until we get to meet Jesus, but rather we are on mission to proclaim the goodness and grace and mercy of you so that many more would hear the gospel, so that many more would come to know you as King and Lord and Father and Savior so that we would be able to engage with you, so that others would be able to engage with you and know as they walk through this life that you are, we can be with them. God, as we wait on that day, as we wait for that day to come, God, help us to wait well. Help us to take in all of those moments, all of those times when your light is breaking through, when your kingdom is breaking through. Help us to rejoice in those, those times, celebrate those times. We find our rest and hope in you. And we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.